Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Genesis. We're going to be there first, and then we're going to kind of bounce around all over the place. But we're going to start in Genesis. How many of you know Christmas is one week away? Christmas is one week away, exactly seven days away. How many of you are ready for it? How many of you, it, like hearing this today, like you knew it was, but, but the reality is setting in and you're like, panic is starting to creep in a little bit because you only have seven days to finish your Christmas shopping. And so um, probably what's going to happen is at some point this week, you're going to work through lunch so you can take off early so you can get to, to Kearney or Grand Island to get to the mall to finish your Christmas shopping. How many of you got Christmas shopping you need to finish up? Oh, man, you guys are terrible, terrible. And listen, let me tell you, online shopping's not going to cut it. We were on Amazon last night, and we were, we were shopping for some gifts for Amazon, and it's going to be here December 26th, December 26th. So, so don't count on Amazon. You got to get somewhere, and you got to get your Christmas shopping done. A lot of us have gifts we still have to buy. A lot of us have, have people that we love to buy for. We just can't wait to give them gifts. But then some of us, we have gifts that we have to give, Right? Some of us, we have people that we're obligated to give to. Anybody have people they're obligated to give to? Like, you don't really want to, but you kind of, like, the family decided this is what we're going to do, right? You have people that you have to buy for. You're obligated to. Um, You got your kids. You can't wait for them to open this special one because you're going to see their face light up. And then you got your brother-in-law, right, that you kind of care about, maybe, like you don't really talk to, but they decided we're gonna give gifts, and so I got my brother-in-law, and we have to give to them. And so, so shopping for them is just a little different, right? It's just a little bit different. Like you're there, you're at the store, you're ready to go, you're tired of the Christmas crowd, and you can't find anything, so you're like, just grab the sweater, it doesn't matter. We just need to put something in a box and wrap it. Just get the sweater, and let's go. I don't care if it doesn't fit, it doesn't have to fit, it just has to be something in a box, wrapped. Just get it, and let's go. And then you got the budget, right? You got the, you got the amount that you're supposed to spend. You know, let's do gifts for each other, but we don't go over $20. And so you see, it's like $18.75. You take it up there, hey, I can do this, $18.75. The cashier checks you out with tax, it's like $22.13. So you're like, ah, you know what? I don't like him $2.13 more than what I'm supposed to Let's take it back and get the slippers, right? But, but that's kind of how it works when, when we buy gifts for people that we're obligated to buy for. It's just something in there. And um, so you're there, you're getting the gift, you're not really putting much thought into it. You take it to the cashier, they ring you up, and then they always ask this question. Would you like a gift receipt? Would you like a gift receipt? What does a gift receipt mean? It, it's printed without the price so that nobody knows how cheap you are and how much you don't love them. But it's with the opportunity to bring it back, right? The gift receipt is there so that you have the chance to bring it back. And so every time they say, would you like a gift receipt? The response is always, yes, please. And then most of you, when you wrap the gift, you put that gift receipt in the box before you wrap the present. 
And then when you get together with this, this, this extended group, this extended family, you're going to be sitting there, and after everybody's opening presents, every single family has the same conversation. And as you're opening presents, it sounds something like this. Hey, you know what? Um, I don't know if it's going to fit or if you even like it. If you don't, the gift receipt is in the box. You can take it back. You can get something you like. You can get something that fits. Just, just know the gift receipt is in there so you can do whatever you want with it. And your response is usually, no, this is perfect. I love sweaters with choo-choo trains on them. I've always wanted one. Thank you so much. You know? And then you look at it and you say, oh, you know, it's a medium. I better take that gift receipt just in case it doesn't fit. And I'll go get one exactly the same that, that fits me a little bit better. I got the gift receipt. It's all good. If I have a gift receipt, I can upgrade. If I have the gift receipt, I can get something that I really want. If I have the gift receipt, I can get something that flatters me and that fits me. The gift receipt is awesome because when you give me a stupid gift... After you leave town, I can take it back and exchange it for something that I like and I actually want. And that, my friends, is the spirit of Christmas. Amen? Amen. Come on, somebody. That's what Christmas is all about. Maybe we don't always want something altogether when we consider gifts. Maybe, maybe the, per, the giver didn't get it completely wrong, just a little bit wrong. Maybe there are just aspects of the gift that they've given that, that we could change, we could tweak, we could make a little bit better. Maybe they got me a red one and I wanted a blue one, and so I'd take it back and get the one I want. Maybe they got me HD and I wanted to do 4K, and so I take it back and get a little bit of an upgrade. I get the one I want. I want something a little bit bigger. I want something a little bit better. I want something with, with a little bit more of the bells and whistles, something that fits me, something that reflects me, something that represents me better. And I'm afraid that what has happened is that we as a people have become so obsessed with, with a little bit better, finding that thing that fits us perfectly. I was talking to a guy in between service, and, and he was saying, you know, it's like the cell phone, and, and everybody, we're trying to find that upgrade, find that, that tweak, find that adjustment to make it fit me just a little bit better. And we do this in every area of our life. Find what we like. Find what benefits me better, what makes my life easier. And I'm afraid that for many of us, we have begun to apply this same concept to the gifts that God has given us. It's okay, it's one thing to exchange the gifts that other people have given us, but what do we do with the gifts that God gives? All through human history, it seems, every time that God has given a gift a good gift, a perfect gift, a gift from God, it doesn't take too long for mankind to take it and exchange it for something else. To take the divine gift receipt, to trade it in for something that they think fits them better, that they want more, that that fits their lifestyle a little bit closer. There are many times that we see this happening. We're gonna talk about three specifically here this morning. The first we see happen in the garden. Consider the garden, the very the very beginning. Consider the gift of the garden. Life was literally perfect. Life on earth was literally perfect. And not just like a perfect moment when you're on vacation in Hawaii on the beach and the, the waves are hitting the shore and it's just, oh, this is a perfect moment. It wasn't just a perfect moment. Life on earth was perfect. 
It was perfect in a way that we can't even begin to wrap our minds around. It was perfect in a way that we can't even begin to understand. Life was perfect. There was no death. There was no pain. There was no tears. There was no secrets. There was no hidden agenda. There was no manipulation. There was no shame. Life was perfect. Complete and total perfection. They had access to God in a personal and intimate way where they could physically talk to him and have a conversation with him and, and, and see him and, and, and experience God in that way. God provided everything. God did like 90% of the work. Like they didn't have to work the ground and just food was there and they just ate, which is what many of you do for Christmas. Food is just there and you eat. You don't help at all. Come on. But life was perfect. God himself looked at Adam and Eve in the garden and the creation that he had, had made. And he said, this is really, really good. This is really, really good. This is awesome. This is wonderful. Then Satan comes in. He slithers into the garden with a gift receipt, doesn't he? He says, Eve, why are you settling for this? Why, why are you okay with just this crummy little garden? You know God's holding out on you. You know there's an upgrade. You can upgrade to something that you like better. You can, you can find something that will fit you personally. You know, God's holding out on you. You know, the reason why God has given you access to the entire garden except this tree is because he doesn't want you to be like him. He's pulled the wool over your eyes. He, he's given you all of this stuff, making you think that it's great, but he's holding out on you. You can just trade all of this in for that. Because if you eat of that tree and you eat of that fruit, you're going to know things. Your mind is going to be opened up. You're going to have access to things that you never had access to before. You can just take this gift receipt and trade it in for something better, something that fits you, something that you really want. God doesn't want you to do that because if you, if you eat that fruit, then you're going to be like him, and he doesn't want you to be like him. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They cashed in that gift receipt for something far less than God was giving originally. As if God didn't take the time to consider what they needed and take the time to consider what was best for them and just gave them something half-hearted so he could try to get out of the store. They cashed in perfection for shame, nakedness, and sin. The curse of sin entered the world because Adam and, Adam and Eve became convinced that God's gift wasn't good enough. They were convinced that God's gift didn't fit them. 
If I eat this fruit, I will be better. If I eat this fruit, I will be more fulfilled. If I eat this fruit, I will be happier. If I eat this fruit, I will be like God. So the gift receipt is important to us. It's important to us on holidays because we don't want to get stuck with lame gifts, right? Give me a lame gift, give me a gift receipt so I can take it back and get something that I really want. And Satan keeps convincing mankind that the gifts of God are lame. Trade it in, get something you want. Trade it in, get something that you like. Trade it in, get something that will benefit you. It seems crazy that someone would be so eager and willing to trade perfection for a supposed upgrade. But that wasn't the last time that it happened. Let's consider the desert. Think about the desert. And these are, these are easy, simple Sunday school illustrations. But I, I think as we look at it this way, it, it begins to change the way we perceive the gifts of God. So we looked at the garden, let's look at the desert. Many of you know these stories. The Hebrew people were in captivity in Egypt for over 400 years. They're slaves, you know the story. Moses marches into Egypt. He's got a staff in his hand and he's empowered by the Spirit of God, directing him back into Egypt to free the, the Israelite people from Egyptian slavery. And, and Moses walks, walks into the castle with the staff and an epic showdown begins. You know about the plagues, the water into blood, the gnats, the frogs, the grasshoppers, the flies, the boils, the death of the livestock, the, the sun being turned into tonight, the sun being blacked out. And many times we look at these plagues and we think these plagues are just random things. Like, like uh, God apparently you know, had this weird idea to use creepy crawly critters to, to freak people out or, or they were there and they were available. So God just said, hey, let's do this. Like, like it feels very random until you begin to understand that every single one of these plagues was a direct attack against the Egyptian belief system. Every single one of these plagues was a direct and systematic dismantling of the Egyptian gods that they served and they worshiped and they prayed and sacrificed to. Every single one. Uh, there was a goddess named Hepa who had a frog's head, and she was a fertility god, and um, you know she was supposed to increase you know your family and your legacy and your line. And so basically, God says, "You you want you want a lot of like the frogs and the fertility and all that stuff. Here's a billion frogs for you to deal with." And, and God just, every plague, when, when the Nile was turned into blood, they worshiped the Nile as a God, as a life-giving God. And God said, you serve this Nile, you serve the river Nile as a life-giving God. God turned it to blood and said, now it only produces death. Every single one. They worshiped Ra, the sun God, and God just completely blacked it out. You serve God, or you serve Ra as like your main, most important, most powerful God, the sun God. God said, this isn't even hard for me. Watch, all I have to do is this, and that God completely disappears. And through those 10 plagues, there was no question whose God was more powerful. There was no question whose God was greater, whose God was awesome. We were just singing a second ago about a powerful name, the powerful name of God. Like there is massive power in the hand of God. And there was no question that the God of the Hebrews is supreme, powerful, strong, and awesome. He completely destroyed the Egyptian belief system. 
Add to that the fact that, that when the Hebrews left Egypt, they were given much of the treasure of Egypt. They were walking out with cartfuls and armfuls of the Egyptian treasure. God told Moses, hey, when you leave tomorrow, ask your Egyptian neighbors for money and they'll give it to you. And so they walked out. They were, they were slaves the day before. As they're walking out free people, they're asking their neighbors, hey, give me your gold. And the neighbors were like, here's my gold. That's what God did for the Egyptians. So in one day, they were given their freedom and they were made extremely wealthy. God gave the people this amazing gift in a moment, the gift of freedom and the gift of wealth. But it doesn't just stop there. The, the Hebrews are walking through the desert with all this freedom and all this wealth, and they get to the Red Sea. Many of you know the story. The Egyptians get mad that they've let them go. Pharaoh rallies the troops, and he sends his charioteers after them to kill them. And what does God do? God splits the Red Sea in half so the, Egypt, or so the Israelites can walk through the Red Sea, walk through this miraculous, like just divine intervention to walk to the other side. Not only that, Scripture tells us that, that during the night when the wind was blowing and separating and drying the Red Sea, that, that God made this pillar, this gigantic pillar of fire, and he planted it right in between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And so that as the Egyptians tried to approach, this pillar of fire became this divine, awesome barrier. Like, like how cool is that? Think about that. Think about, think about God being so engaged and so invested in, in your life and in your protection and in your security that when the bad guys come, he throws a gigantic ball of fire in between you. How could you not just be there taunting the bad guys, right? Hey, come get me, right? Sorry, dude, you know? I mean, God was awesome to these people. Awesome. Consider the gifts. Freedom. Wealth and supernatural protection. Like this is a gift that, that they, they couldn't even think to ask for. They were crying out to God, but, but God intervened in such a divine and awesome and powerful way. Then while the Hebrew nation, free from the Israelites, or free from the, the Egyptians, on the backside of the Red Sea that closed in and killed the Egyptian warriors who were trying to, to, to get them, on the backside, they're enjoying their freedom now. They're making their way to the promised land. God calls Moses to climb to the top of the mountain. And there on the top of the mountain, God is going to give Moses um, the Ten Commandments and some other instructions on how to lead and serve and worship God. And so Moses is up there getting the Ten Commandments. And Genesis chapter 32, verse 1 says this. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. Think about this. He said, make us some gods who can lead us. Were, were these Israelites, the, the only gods that they would have known of because they were living in Egyptian captivity, were the gods of Egypt and now the God of Israel, right? Who, who they had known and who they prayed to, but, but they didn't really know well. So, 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 Every God that they knew of has just been completely dismantled and destroyed by the God of Israel, the Hebrew God, the God that they served. And now they go to Aaron and they're saying, make us some gods like the Egyptians had. 
Make for us some gods like, like the Egyptians that we can serve, that we can control, that, that we can identify. Make us some of those gods. I lost my place. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Verse 2. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from your ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. Don't you think that Aaron should have said, Are you stupid? Listen here, dummy. Like, God, did you forget everything that God did? Why in the world would we, would we create gods when we have God on our side? Why in the world would we, like, would we take something so awesome and make him so small? Now, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Don't come talking to me about me making gods for you. Get out of here, right? Shouldn't Aaron have said that? But he said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. Verse 3, all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold and melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. Here's a baby cow. When the people saw it, they exclaimed. Listen to what they said. Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What? Are you kidding me? They brought their gift receipt to Aaron. And said, hey, Aaron, instead of that God, we want a God that we're a little bit more comfortable with. We want a God that's a little bit more predictable. We need a God that we can control. We need a God that will embrace our sin. We need a God that we can identify and we can give attributes to and, and, and a God that we can define. We need a God that we can better understand. We need a God that we can change if we need to, if it suits us. We need a God, Aaron, that we created. Because if we serve a God that we created, then it elevates us to that position of God anyway, which was the first lie and the first temptation that Satan gave to Eve. Does this make sense? This is crazy. But now consider the Christ. We looked at the garden, we looked at the desert, now consider the Christ. Jesus, God's great and perfect gift to mankind. Jesus, the baby that was born in Bethlehem to the Virgin Mary, wrapped in swaddling cloth and laid in a manger. Jesus is God in the flesh. Colossians 1:15 says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. If you want to know what God does, look to Jesus. If you want to know how God acts, look to Jesus. Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. Jesus offers salvation from sin, freedom from bondage, access to eternity with God, hope, joy, peace, love, salvation. Jesus is the gift that God gave us before we even knew that we wanted that gift. Jesus offers life eternal. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, and Paul is talking here, and he's identifying the Gentiles' response to God. Uh, but in this, I think it pretty much sums up mankind's response to the great gift of Jesus. It says, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise, amen. They, 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 they worshiped the things God created instead of the creator. They traded the truth about God for a lie. 
pretty much did the exact same thing that the Israelites did in the desert. They, they, they worshipped their created calf instead of the creator. They traded the, the truth about God for the lie of the cow. I want us to back up real quick and look at verse 21. It says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Or rather, or rather, they began to think up of what they wanted their God to be like. It wasn't like this, this practice in theology, we're trying to better understand God, we're trying to define God. No, 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 it wasn't any of that. They were trying to figure out ways that they wanted their God to act like. So they traded in their gift receipt. This great gift of Christ, of Jesus. They said, no, 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 not good enough. We don't want that. Here's our gift receipt. We're gonna come up with ways that we can make Jesus better. And I wonder if we do that same thing today. We're thinking up foolish ideas of what God is like. And, and we want Jesus, yes. Like the majority of us in here probably would say, you know what, yeah, I want Jesus. We just want our Jesus to look a little different. I was preparing this and I was thinking, man, I don't know if I should preach this message. You know, this is, this is probably going to be the majority of people in the place are going to be believers. And then the snow hit, and then it's like, or the ice hit, then it's like, you're really probably just going to get the believers, though, though not everybody is. But I began to, to, to realize that, and Adam and Eve had a relationship with God that, that we'll have someday, but, but they, man, they had intimacy with God in, in an awesome way, and they, and they used their gift receipt. The Israelites saw God do all these amazing things and protect them with fire and split the Red Sea in half and feed them with bread from heaven and, and they traded in their gift receipt. I began to realize that, man, this message is for us as believers. This message is for us because we're constantly tempted to trade in our gift receipt. A lot of us are looking for Jesus we just need a Jesus that is more me. You know what I mean? I just want a Jesus that fits me better. I want a Jesus that, that is, is more effective at hiding my flaws. I want a Jesus that's more flattering to me. I need a Jesus with vertical lines, right? Horizontal lines make me look fat. It doesn't look good on me. I need a Jesus with vertical lines. I need a Jesus that makes me look better than what I really am. Essentially, we're saying, I want a Jesus who's willing to lie to me to make me feel good. I want Jesus. I just, I, I just don't know if I want the original version. I want Jesus. I, I just want the Jesus that will let me succeed without asking me to surrender. That Jesus is too much. I want this one. I want Jesus, I just want the Jesus that invites me to enjoy my freedoms without asking me to sacrifice anything. I want Jesus, I just want the, the Jesus that allows me to be guided by my conscience 
and doesn't bother me with Holy Spirit conviction. That's the Jesus that I want to serve. I want a Jiminy Cricket version of Jesus. I, I, want, I want Jesus. I just, I just want a Jesus that will, will work to make me happy and not spend so much time working to make me righteous. That's the Jesus that I want. I want Jesus. I just want the Jesus that forgives my sins and doesn't ask me to forgive the people who've sinned against me. I want a Jesus who is willing to, to forgive me of all the wickedness and all the sin and all the thoughts and all the bad things that I've ever done and wipe them completely clean and forget about them and throw them to the sea of forgetfulness. But I still want that Jesus to, to, to uh, validate me when I hold on to my anger and my bitterness because of that person and what they did to me. That's the Jesus that I want. I want Jesus. I just want the Jesus that will bless my finances and doesn't get so worked up with me tithing. I want Jesus. I just want the Jesus that asks me to take up a cause and not the cross. That's the Jesus I want. I, I want Jesus, just not the original version. I want the Jesus that's as preoccupied with my comfort as I am. I want a Jesus that I can think about before I commit to. I want a Jesus that I can try on for a little bit. I want a Jesus that I can wear around the house before taking off the tags. I want, I want a Jesus that, that, is, is, that makes sure that all of my flaws, all of my faults are hidden. I want a God that fits me better. And if Jesus doesn't do it, I may trade him in for, for, not, for not, like, I'm not going to go worship somebody else. I just want a, a better Jesus. I just want a Jesus that fits better. You know, God, I really want Jesus. I just don't know if I want your Jesus. As if God sent his son as the perfect gift for mankind and, and placed a gift receipt in the bottom of the manger. And he says, now, you know what? If you don't like it, or if it doesn't fit, Take it back and get something you really want. Take, take it back and get something you like. And we think God says that because that's exactly what we do. We look for a Jesus that fits us better. And the moment we change any part of Jesus, the moment that we change any part of him, the second that we ignore one aspect of our perfect gift, Jesus Christ, who we celebrate this gift on Christmas, the second we change anything about it, we trade this perfect gift for a golden calf. You change one thing about it, you're completely rejecting all of Jesus and you're saying, you know what? I'd rather serve and worship this thing that I created. And so a lot of us as Christians, as believers, we have a hundred different golden calves that we all bow down to. And you know what? We've named all of our golden calves Jesus because it makes us feel better. But when we take that gift receipt and we say, I don't want that Jesus, I want this one. We're creating golden calves all over. And I know that you're supposed to preach a really happy, feel good, joy to the world message the week before Christmas. 
But I wonder what would happen if spiritually speaking, we as believers began to rip up that gift receipt and say, you know what? I don't want my version of Jesus. I just want Jesus. And I know, I know that if I accept this Jesus, it's going to expose my flaws. I know that, that if I worship this Jesus, there's going to be things in me that I have to change. I know that if I accept this Jesus, there's going to be people that I have to forgive that I don't want to forgive. I know that if I accept this Jesus, there's going to be sacrifice that I'm going to have to make that I don't want to make. There's going to be surrender that I have to do that I don't want to do. And I'm not just preaching this as like a salvation response, as an altar call type thing. I'm talking to the believers here. What, what Jesus are you serving today? Are you serving a golden calf that you've called Jesus? Are you committed to the King of Kings that surrendered every aspect of his divinity to come down and, and join the world as a helpless little baby. I want, I want that Jesus. I want that Jesus. Stand your feet today. Some of you are here today. You're serving your golden calf that you've called Jesus. Some of you have been here and you've been serving that for a long time. Some of you are here and you're, you're kind of, you're, you find yourself at that customer service counter and you're ready to trade in like, like the real authentic Jesus for something that fits you better, for something that feels better, for something that's more you. God didn't give his perfect son, Jesus, so that he could be more like you. He gave Jesus as an example so you could be more like him. The second you make Jesus more like you, you're creating a golden calf. When we begin to make ourselves more like Jesus, we're surrendering to who he really is. Bow your heads, close your eyes all across this place. I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and, and, and through that still small voice of the Holy Spirit, he, he's, he's speaking what he wants to in this moment to you. And I know that there's some of you who um, you, you feel like there, there's a moment where you really want to connect with God. Well, we're, we're going to close with worship. And so I want, I want you to know that these altars are open. All of this front area is down here. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in any way, and, and you want to find a place to pray, find a place to connect with God, our altar team is going to be here. They're going to pray with you. But if you need to just find that spot, we want you to come so we can pray with you. But the rest of us, we're going to close in worship. Go ahead and put those words on the screen for us. We're going to sing this together. And we're going to sing to Jesus. And we're going to worship Jesus, the authentic Jesus, the real Jesus. We're going to worship him for who he is. We're going to worship him for the perfect gift that he has given us. We're going to worship him as our Savior. We're not going to worship some lame, altered version of Jesus. But we're going to worship Jesus. So all across this place, would you just raise your hands in worship? Would you commit your heart to worship? Will you surrender your life to the worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? He is powerful. He is wonderful. He is glorious. And He deserves our praise. He deserves our praise. Let's worship Him. He deserves it. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.
Thank you.